All right, guys, we made it. We're in the last sermon of Revelation. We are at the end, the end of the end. It's, uh, it's been quite a journey. And so today, tonight is the last sermon in our series through Revelation. After this, in November, December, we'll, we'll uncover different topics. Um, not too sure which topics we're going to be talking about, uh, but I know that we'll most likely be doing stuff within the Psalms, and we'll choose different topics out there. And... Yeah, and so I just, as we're gone through Revelation, we've studied about the end times. We've studied about the future. And here in the book of Revelation, we end. We end here with a refrain that, that's really the cry of the, the Christian heart. It's a refrain that simply says, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. We heard this, we know this, and this this, this call to, for Jesus to come is indeed what all of us as believers should be crying out to God. Come. The coming of Christ is important. It's important for the Christian faith. And it, I mean, in fact, I, I would say that if, if, you, if you don't believe that Jesus is coming back, you're missing out on the whole point of the gospel. You're missing out on what exactly does it mean to be a Christian. The return of Jesus is important and fundamental doctrine that we must all believe in. Jesus is indeed coming back. And that's what Revelation has been all about. Revelation has been about, about the coming of Jesus, the return of Jesus, the return of the King. And I think this is something that we want to make sure we take into heart, make sure we want to understand. And I know going through Revelation, we covered a lot of stuff. There was some parts of it was really confusing and went over your heads. I know because I look at your, I look, I seen your eyes, heard your questions. Um, but just knowing the basic premise of Revelation that Jesus Christ is coming back and there's an end to all of this, that's, that's fundamental to what we need to know as a Christian. And that's important for us, and I want to show us why. And that's why I'm going to spend this time, as we go through this last section of Revelation, I want to show us why the return of Jesus is important. But first, let's first get through some definitions. The return of Jesus is often called imminence. It's a doctrine of imminency. And what that means is that Jesus can come back at any time. An imminent event is one that's constantly hanging overhead. It's, it's constantly ready to befall, and it can happen at any moment we don't know when it can be tomorrow it can be next year but it, it can happen it's going to happen and it's just it's just saying there we're just expecting it but we're not sure exactly when this thing will happen it's like watching like a little water droplet on a leaf like as it just rolls towards the edge so slowly you're just kind of just waiting for that moment you're just anticipating it for it to drop and it will drop and you're just watching it hanging at the edge of a leaf or it's like the earthquake that California is supposed to have, right? It's the big one that's supposed to come. It's imminent. It's going to happen because tension's been building. It hasn't happened now. It's because it keeps building up and up. It's, it's hanging over us. That's what we mean when we say Jesus Christ, the return of Christ, is imminent. That he can return at any time. It is going to happen. We just don't know when. Matthew. Turn with me first to Matthew chapter 24. Um, and keep your finger there as we're going to be we'll go back and forth from Matthew 24 25 uh, to Revelation 22 because Matthew chapter 24 and 25 it talks about all about the end times and a lot of the application that I'm going to draw for our passage in Revelation 22 is going to come from these passages in Matthew 
But first, Matthew 24, verse 36. Matthew 24, verse 36, Jesus says this. He says, But concerning the day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. And talking about this day is the day when Jesus will come back. We all, no one knows when it will happen. No one will know. Only the Father does. Now let's turn with me to Revelation 22. Knowing this, Revelation 22, we're going to look at verses 6 to 21. And this is really the epilogue. It's the epilogue of Revelation, the book of Revelation, but it's really an epilogue for the whole Bible. Right? Revelation is the last book of the Bible. These are, in a way, the final words recorded for us in the Bible. And Revelation, it, in this passage, it all points to the return of Christ. And what it does is and invites us in to respond to this truth. Let me go ahead and just read through this whole thing, and then I'll, and then I'll go ahead and divide it up into different sections. Revelation chapter twenty-two, verses six to twenty-one. This is God's word. And He said to me, "These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent His angel to show His servants what must soon take place." And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to, to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and, and sorcerers and the sexual moral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires the water of, who desires take the water of life, without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testified to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Here in this final passage, in this epilogue, the return of Christ presents to us here one invitation. And from this one invitation, there are three instructions and three incentives that we're going to take a look at. 
But first I want to show you guys the invitation that we see here. There's one final invitation that shows up here, right? It's an invitation to all. And all that in verse 17, for all to come. For everyone to come. It's an invitation for all to hear, every person. It's, it's telling us here that, that the return of Christ matters, not just, not just to some, but to everybody. And the invitation is out there for all to come. It's a reminder that the gospel, it's more than just a nice story. It's more than just us hearing something that God's done in the past, something that, you know, Jesus, a man who, who just lived and was a righteous man, a good man, it's more than that. The gospel is also an invitation to respond. An invitation to repent and believe that Jesus is indeed your Lord and Savior. Or you can respond and say, I reject Christ. Continue in your sin. See, this invitation is extended to all and is extended to you as well. It's an invitation. And remember, Revelation is written to the churches. It's an invitation for us to remember to... If, that to keep coming, to keep going towards Jesus. The ones who respond to this, to this invitation, are the ones who hear. Right? Verse 17, the ones who hear say, come. And then, let, and then after that, who are the ones who hear? The ones who are thirsty. Come. The ones who are thirsty. What are they thirsty for? They're thirsty for the water of life. The water of life. I'm just, just listen to this invitation. Listen to what we desire. What do you desire in your life? Are you your soul thirsty for some kind of satisfaction? Is your soul thirsty to be quenched? Is your soul thirsty specifically for God? If you thirst for this water of life, Jesus says, Come and you can have it for free. You have about price. This is the thing that all Asians are listening for, right? Free stuff. Look at this. Without price. No cost. It's been paid for. Let the one who desires take the water of life. Take the water of life without price. Come. Jesus is inviting him. This is what Jesus has been offering. When he was here on earth, he was offering the same thing to everyone. Remember the Samaritan woman? Who gave Jesus water and Jesus says, Well, I also have water to give to you. The water of life. And Jesus offering to her, again, drink from me. It's what Jesus offered to the Jews and to the Pharisees. And when they were at the festival of booths, they were, you know, they were going back and forth with Jesus, and Jesus tells them, All who are thirsty for the rivers and the water of life, come to know me. Come follow me. See, even though they're they're his enemies. Jesus still says, come to them. He invites them. He's inviting you to come to Him. Meaning, He's inviting you to receive the invitation and believe His words, to accept it. Let's understand what this invitation is. right? When we receive an invitation here, when we receive this invitation from Jesus, we didn't, it's not like we earned it. It's not like we bought it. It's not like we did anything to gain his favor. He gave us this invitation, right? It's, it's like an email that just pops up in your inbox and he says, come, click on this, come. And you, you receive it and what will you do with it? What will you do with such an invitation? Will you read it and RSVP your place into this future banquet, into this future party that we'll have in heaven with Jesus? Or will you let this 
email just simply go into your spam folder. How do you respond to this invitation from Christ? Jesus here, he sends us this. And when he sends us this, when he sends us this invitation, he sends us this invitation with instructions. So meaning if we accept this invitation, it's not that, again, we didn't, we didn't earn it, we didn't buy this invitation, but when you say, yes, I'll come, there's a list of instructions here. Meaning you're saying, okay, I'll come and now I'll prepare myself to go. You see, Jesus here, it says here, right? It says, first there's a command for us to come. But then in verse 20, it says, Jesus here says, he's the one who testified in all these things. He says, surely I'm coming soon. And our hearts cry to Jesus, come, Lord Jesus. You see, while Jesus commands us to come, Jesus too is also coming. And Jesus, what he's doing, he's going to come and pick us up. He's going to come and take us to the kingdom of heaven, take us into the new creation, into his kingdom. It's like he's, he's going to pick us up, and what he's asking us to do is he's asking us to simply be ready. To be ready. To answer the door when he comes on by. To not be falling asleep. Don't take a nap. Don't snooze. But instead, be ready. Have your ears ready. Make sure the batteries in your doorbell works, because I am coming soon. Jesus here tells us to come, and he will come for us. And that's, just, that, that, that's what the instructions are laid here for. They're, the instructions here is, is how to prepare ourselves, how to get ourselves ready, how to indeed wait for Christ. And so what are these, how, what does it mean then to come? We have here in this passage three instructions. Three instructions. And first and foremost, the first instruction is, is simple. It's found in verse 8, or sorry, verse 9. At the end of verse 9, where the angel simply tells John, worship God. Worship God. You see, this is the this is really the essence of all things that we do. We prepare ourselves by having our hearts already worshiping God. John, when he heard this prophecy, when he saw this vision, right, when he was taken away, saw the vision, heard all these things, and it says here in verse 8, I, John, the one who heard and saw these things. And the, the, the words the, the phrasing here that John uses, right? he says he heard and he saw these things. He's, this is actually the pattern of how he writes the whole book of Revelation. And if you flip through, we don't have time to go through all this, but if you go back and just read through the visions, constantly John says, I heard this, or and then I saw this. And each, they go hand in hand on how he understands what is being shown to him. But what what's going on here is that, what's going on here is that what John saw and heard is a revelation. Uh, we studied in Sunday school this past Sunday that revelation is knowledge. It's knowledge that is both revealed and uncovered for us. And not, revelation, is, revelation is knowledge that is revealed and uncovered for us. Meaning what, John, what God is doing here for John and through John's writing for us, what God is doing is he's showing us a knowledge of the future. The final phase of his salvation plan, he's uncovering this for us. He's showing us all these things. And this unveiling of this knowledge, I mean, look here at John's response. He heard, he saw them, and then he fell down to worship. I mean, it, it, he left him awestruck and knocked him to his knees. And he, he didn't even have time to think. He just worshiped the first thing that's in front of him, the person who shared this prophecy with him, this angel, 
And, uh, and he got rebuked for it. He, he did the wrong thing. He should not be worshiping this angel. But, I mean, we, we should be sympathized with John here. Because don't we do the same thing? Right? When we think about how we come to hear the gospel, or we've heard an awesome sermon from a preacher, don't we celebrate oftentimes the messenger, sometimes more than God? I mean, how many times have we read a book or heard a sermon from a pastor and we're so, I mean, it helped us grow so much, it helped us understand God so much, but we end up elevating this person and idolizing this person more than we should. What, what John here does is, is really just human. We tend to idolize the messenger. We really, what we need to do is we need to remember the person, where the message is from. We need to, we need to worship the sender, not the messenger. And the sender of this message is God. That's what verse 6 is telling us here. Right? And verse 6 says that these words are trustworthy and true. Why? Because it is the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets. And remember, all the prophets who have all these amazing visions, all these cause of repentance and judgment, all the prophets from the Old Testament and New Testament, all of them come from God. The God of the spirits of the prophets sent his angels. And another way to translate angel, every time you read the word angel in the Bible, the, other tra- the literal translation is actually messenger. Right? He sent his messenger to show his servants what must take place. God is the sender here. This message comes from God. God is the source of all knowledge. He, meaning what he does is every time God reveals something to us, it's every time he speaks, it's a mic drop, right? There's nothing else to say. We just simply get, we're like, all right, cool, God. That's, I mean, what else can you do in response to God other than to worship him? What we see here is that the call to come, the invitation to come, is an invitation to know Christ personally. Christ, who is indeed God incarnate. Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus doesn't just simply invite us into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is showing exactly how he's going to do it, right? Revelation isn't just about us knowing the future, but Revelation is seeing how our Lord and Savior is going to save us. How he's going to take us home. And when, when we come to know more about our Lord and Savior in this way, when we come to know more about what he's going to do, how he's not just this man who's calling us and then just, and just commanding us to do, but he's a man who's going to go down, get his hands dirty, and save us and take us home. And it's just understanding that we serve such a God, such a Lord and Savior should make you feel in awe of Him. Right? Just think about things you learn, think about anything, any kind of knowledge that just blows you away. It's what we do with knowledge. When we come to know someone better, when we come to know something better, and it blows your mind, right? Just, you're, you're left in awe. That's the only way to respond to such great knowledge. Worship then. Worship, true worship is our natural response when we come to a greater knowledge of who God is. And what he's doing. Um, this is why, this is why here at, here at this church, here in this fellowship, we focus a lot on teaching and preaching God's word because God's word reveals to us who God is. We want you to worship God, 
to come to know God more. And it's why it's the center of everything we do. It's also why when, when, I, when I work with my leaders and I'm, and I'm teaching, I'm preaching something, I want a response song. I believe that singing is actually best after we hear God's word. Because singing, singing should be a response to when we come to a greater knowledge of who God is. Worship. Worship comes as a response of a greater knowledge of God. The second instruction we see here is to obey God. It's to obey God. It says in verse 7, here Jesus speaking, and this, this whole section of Revelation gets a little confusing because in the Greek, it, in the Greek there's no punctuation, so they don't really tell us who's speaking and who's not, but, um, but the, you know, your translation, your English translation tries their best to figure out who's speaking. And most likely here, this is Jesus speaking, because he says, Behold, I'm coming soon. So this is Jesus now speaking. Behold, I'm coming soon. And he says this, Blessed is the one who keeps the words, the prophecy of this book. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. The word keep here, meaning to obey. Meaning to obey and remain steadfast. To obey and hold steadfast to the words of this book. Really, he's saying, do it. Understand this book. Follow it to follow it to its uttermost detail. Follow it to a T. It's, we look down with me now to verse 18. Right? Verse 18, verse 9 tells us how much we need to make sure we adhere to the words of this book. Right? John here, he warns people. He warns the readers. Don't add anything. Don't remove anything from this book. And really, we can say the same thing about the whole scriptures. Don't add anything to it. Don't remove anything to it. Instead, simply submit yourself to the entirety of this book and all of his words. When, when John says something like this, when John says something like this, when he says add something or remove something, it's, simply, it's not like we're just adding extra words or adding extra sentences and paragraphs. We're not talking about that. Like, I mean, I know, you know there are religions that kind of do that. Like the Book of Mormon is not true. Like that's just added on. That's don't don't do that. But there's something about us when we walk through when we walk with God that we need to understand what this means. Because there's many times when we hear God's word, and there are times when we will try to give excuse of why we perhaps don't want to obey God's word, or we try to explain away God's words. Like this, this part is really hard, to, really hard to understand or really hard to follow. And so we try to explain it away. We try to make it lighter. We try to water it down so it doesn't sound as you know, judgmental or harsh. Guys, be careful of doing that. Because if we try to make any excuses or we try to explain away certain parts of Scripture, we can fall into a danger of simply either adding or removing from the power of God's word. Let God's word be his word. And how you respond, how you respond is what matters. God's word remains true, but how you respond determines how faithful you are to God. We are to simply obey. And when we obey, it means we have to keep God's word to be God's word. And allow it to be what it is. I mean, yes, we need to interpret it. Yes, we need to study it. Yes, we need to explain it. But make sure we continue to stay within the confines of his word. Allow his word to show us who he is. But in the context of Revelation, 
many ways obedience in scripture. We talk about obedience, and we talk about, you know, we think about commandments, right? We talk about commandments, like, we think about the Ten Commandments, and we like, you know, don't steal, don't murder, don't commit sexual immorality. We can talk about all those different ways of obedience. But at the heart of obedience, one of the, at the heart of obedience comes, can be summed up as waiting. <laughs> it's, just think about it for a moment. At the heart of obedience, at the heart of obeying much of what Scripture tells us to, to obey, at the heart of it is waiting. Waiting for God. Waiting for Him to be patient before the Lord. Now turn with me to Matthew. Right? We're, again, we're going, back, we're going to go back and forth from Matthew chapter 24 to this. We're going to Matthew 24. In Matthew 24, verse 45 to 51, here it, it talks about a servant whom a master has set over his household. Let me just go ahead and just read it. Uh, Matthew chapter 24, verse 45. It says, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his, father, whom, oh, sorry, whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, My master is delayed, and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that day, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What we see here, this servant being set upon, uh, in charge of his household, in charge of whom, what the master owns. And the servant is to take care of it, to steward it. And the servant is found faithful, he will be blessed. But the servant indulges, indulges in all these things and over with, and he does it without any responsibility. And the master comes back and finds out he will be condemned. You see, obeying here for the servant to the master is a matter of waiting. You're, you're doing these things, you're stewarding these things, you're doing it in anticipation that the master will come back. In the same way, the Christian life, when we're obeying, we're saying we're going to stay pure. We're saying we're, gonna, you know, we're not going to be greedy. We're not going to remain angry at this person, or even though he committed injustice against me. Instead, we're waiting upon the Lord. The Lord is your avenger. The Lord is your satisfaction. The Lord will give you heavenly, eternal riches, but it will come later. When he returns, at the heart of much of these commandments is us waiting for God to satisfy our souls. And so the invitation to come is an invitation really to wait, to wait for the Lord's return. To be, to, I mean, just think about much of the language of Scripture. Scripture tells us to prepare yourself, to watch yourself, to persevere. A lot of these terms. Again, at the heart of it is simply to wait. And as we wait, we steward everything. To not be distracted and thrown off task. To, to end up falling for this world. Don't forget why you're still here in this world. God says you're here in this world, not for the purpose to simply enjoy it. But you're here in this world to be a witness. To be a light of the gospel. To wait for the Lord's return. 
And that leads to our third instruction. We turn back to Revelation 22. And we see the third instruction here is to proclaim God. To proclaim God. Note here, verse 16, that these things are to be testified, meaning they're to be a witness, to be a publicly proclaimed. And it says here, Jesus sent his angel, his messenger, to testify, to witness to you about these things. For who? Not just for John, but for the churches. For the churches. See, John is, isn't given this prophecy just so he can just simply enjoy it. I mean, he's again, he's isolated on this island, exile away from his fellow brothers and sisters. And he's given this vision, and that vision, he's not just to sit back and be like, okay, well, I know I'm going to be free one day from this exile. I'm good. No, he's to write this down. Send it to the churches so that they can know about this vision as well. More than that, his writings have been preserved for us. Us, 2,000 years later, to be able to read again about the coming of Christ. You see, this here tells us that this prophecy, really this invitation to come, is not meant for us as something just to accept for ourselves, but it's meant for something for us to invite others. It's an open invite, really. It's an open invite for us to continue to invite others onto into the kingdom of God. The, the invitation to come really is an invitation to publicly announce the Lord's return. Right? Have you guys received those invites? And if you guys, like, have to, when you guys click on RSVP, you have to click on either yes or no, and, and then you can see like a guest list. Sometimes you look at the guest list before you even say yes or no because you care if your friends are going. And, but like, that's, but that's what, that's what, being part of the kingdom of God means. It means your, your name is publicly on the guest list. You're just going to say, yes, you're, you're there and you're now sending the same, you're forwarding this invite now to everyone else. We don't hide, but instead we continue to proclaim. We testify about these things for the churches, for the world. And, and look, here, look here in Revelation 22, look at verse 10. Direct commandment to John. Do not seal up these words. Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book. Why? For the time is near. People need to hear this message. People need to hear them. Why? Verse 11 tells us why. It says that the evildoer to still do evil. That the filthy be still be filthy. Righteous to still do right. The holy still be holy. Alright, what does all this mean? What this, is, what this is telling us is that the message will determine... The message of the gospel, the message of this prophecy will determine who is saved and who is not. Um, Jesus, you guys often heard again Jesus say that those who have ears to hear, let him hear, right? What does that mean? It, it, it means that if you have ears to hear, meaning you're already in this position where you want to hear God's word, let him hear, you will hear it, you will accept it. In the same way here, in verse 11, saying that let those who are righteous, meaning let those who are holy and righteous, let those who are ready in a position of saying, I want to know God, I want to follow God, let them continue to practice that when they will do so when they hear this message. But for those who are sinners, for those who are evildoers, they're ready in their hearts to rejecting God. So when they hear this message, they will continue to reject God. They will continue to do what's evil and filthy. They'll continue to deny God. 
kind of give you an illustration of what, what's going on here. Imagine like a fire alarm going off, right? The fire alarm goes off, you can do one of two things. You can either respond to it, do the appropriate message, look at the map, follow the emergency guys, go out to a safe spot, or you can just ignore it and just keep doing what you're doing. And many times the way we respond to a fire alarm isn't necessarily what the fire alarm is because of what, what we think about this fire alarm going off where many times it's how we already approach in our hearts before the alarm goes off. If we think that alarm is super important, we should obey it every time, then we're gonna go right out. But if you think this is just another test and you're just like, you know, it's a dummy alarm. I don't know, maybe somebody just pulled it. I don't know why it's going off you're gonna ignore it because you don't take it seriously, right? It, how you are before you receive the alarm, before you receive the message, will determine how you interpret it later, will determine how you hear it. When it comes to something like the gospel, when it comes to something like this prophecy of the end times, again, we're not the ones that change hearts here, God is. But we allow, we are to simply proclaim the message faithfully. And let God do the work of determining who will listen and who will not. We are simply here to simply proclaim. Proclaim, explain, do what we can to walk with them. Like we're, we're, I'm not saying that we need to proclaim the gospel like alarmists. But certainly, Revelation, Revelation does indeed present some sort of alarm. And, and the world is coming. That, we should be alarmed by that. People should be alarmed by that. How people will respond to such a message will determine their standing with God. And that's what we're doing here. That's why the end times is important. This is why when we talk about Revelation, we are to explain Revelation to people. It's important for people to know what's going to happen in the future. That the Christian life, it means something. And to be an, un to be an unbeliever, it also means something. The means found in Revelation the meaning is found here, which is why this book is so important for us to understand. So we are to proclaim this message, and that will determine how people respond. But if we have these three instructions. I want to move on now to three incentives, three motivations on like why we should obey these instructions, why these instructions are important. Right? Again, we receive an invitation. Right, to come, and within this invitation, we are, have these instructions we are to obey. The invitation to come is to know Christ, to wait for Him, and to also share about this invitation with all people, to publicly announce it. But why should we do these things? Well, in this passage, we also have here, we also have here three incentives. And the first incentive is this. Jesus returns. When He returns, He's going to demonstrate who He is. And we see His personhood. We see his personhood. Uh, take a look with me at Revelation 22, verse 13. Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He is the first and the last. He has started all things and he's going to be the end of all things. This continues in verse 16. Jesus says in verse 16, I am the root and the descendant of David. Meaning, Jesus came before David. Right? Jesus is preeminent. He exists before David. Jesus always exists. Right? He just is. David really is a type of Christ. But yet at the same time, when Jesus, who is the preeminent God, the always existing God, when he comes down into earth and comes into time, puts on human flesh, he becomes a descendant 
of David. It's amazing. It's mind-blowing. Jesus is both the root and the descendant of David. He is the first and the last. And he's also the bright morning star, which simply means he is a hope. He's a symbol of hope. Hope for all of us. Now, if you look through all this, what this tells us is that we are to keep our eyes on Christ. And when Jesus, is, when Jesus says he's the first and the last, what does that mean? Well, in Hebrews chapter 12, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it tells us, well, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, tells us to run this race, right? To run this race that's set before us. And what does it say in verse 12? It says to look to Jesus. How does he describe Jesus? Why should we look to Jesus while we run this race of life? It's because Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith. He is the start and the end of our faith. He is the one who saves us, but he's also the one who will complete his salvation in us. He is the founder and perfecter of our faith. You see, Jesus is the one who saves us. He's also our great reward. What we see here is that Jesus is our motivation, our hope to remain faithful, to keep going. We remember the cross. We see him. We take joy in seeing the cross because we remember what Jesus did to pay for our salvation. But we also look forward to his future kingdom reign, knowing that he will indeed complete what he started in us. We see here that Jesus' sacrifice is not, it's not going to be for nothing. Jesus will keep us to the end. His blood Shed will mean our salvation. Which then leads into also to our second motivation, Jesus' reward. Back in Revelation 22, Jesus' reward, Jesus says over and over again, blessed, right? Blessed are those. Are, blessed are those who, who will keep the word. Verse 14, blessed are those who wash their robes. Blessed are those who are simply in Christ. Why are they blessed? In verse 12, Jesus says, I'm coming soon and I'm bringing my recompense, meaning I'm bringing repayment. I'm bringing rewards for all those, to, for each person, for what they have done. Every person will be, every person will be rewarded for their works. Now, again, keep this in mind, our salvation is not based on works, but yet that doesn't mean our faithfulness leads to nothing. Our faithfulness means something in this world, right? For us to live out our life in this world, it means something. It's just what's fair. It's what's equal. Our, our, works doesn't, our works doesn't guarantee our entry into heaven, but our works does indeed provide for us a certain reward. Right? Back in Matthew chapter 24, and, or 25, 25, 29, it says this. Jesus says, To everyone who, who has more, well, to, to everyone who has, will more be given, and he will have an abundance. Meaning, if you've been faithful, right? Matthew 25, again, same context of the end times, but this time talking about the parable of the talents, parable of those who are stewarding what Jesus has given them. You're faithful. If you've been faithful, more will be given to you. See, there's great reward of faithfulness. There is great reward of faithfulness, and uh, you know, and then there's, there's a lot of debate upon like what exactly are those rewards. 
but ultimately we can agree upon this that even though there if there are, even if there are different rewards in heaven for people our greatest reward isn't necessarily in the, those treasures but it's in Christ it's in being with Christ for eternity and that is that should be really all the motivation we need to be able to be with Christ forever right. again when we look here verse 14 that those who will wash our robes. Blessed are those who wash our robes. Why? So that they may have the right to the tree of life. Who is, in, again, tree of life? Yeah, there may be, there's possibly a physical tree of life, but remember the source of life always comes from God. And so really we're having this access to God so that they may, in, and it says that they are blessed so that they may enter the city by the gates. They're able to enter into the city, the kingdom of God, where God dwells. They're able to enter into the presence of God. Really, at the end of it all, it's us to be with Christ us to have Christ and those those who are outside are the dogs the sorcerers the sexual immoral the murderers the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehoods in other words those, those who are sinners will not enter into heaven let me keep moving forward here so next we see here Jesus timing Jesus timing Jesus tells us that he is indeed coming soon He's coming soon. And what this all, all this tells us is that don't delay. Don't delay your obedience. Don't delay your repentance. That if you indeed have ears to hear, hear these words. Hear that Jesus indeed is coming soon. To persist faithfully. To continue on. Jesus here provides for us in certain urgency. A reminder that we don't know what tomorrow beholds. That tomorrow, tomorrow, anything can happen. If you hear the words, the invitation to come, respond now. Don't procrastinate. Come and obey Christ. Come and follow Christ. Come and live for Christ. Don't live for this world. Don't live for tomorrow. Do it today. Don't push pause on your faithfulness. Continue to always be faithful to God. You must live this life of faith. Because Jesus can return at any time. He is coming indeed soon. And sooner than you think. Life moves on faster than you think. Right? If you are in college, if you enter in college, your freshman year, I mean at least for me. Oftentimes, it tends to be your longest year. After that, things just move on fast, right? Same thing with life. Life will continue to speed up like a, like a, like a, uh, like a snowball going down, right? It's going to pick up speed, and it's just going to go. And before you know it, you're going to hit 25. You're going to hit 30, and you're going to keep moving forward, keep moving on. Jesus is coming soon. And that means something. Obey him now. Obey and respond to his invitation today. And, and that's the same thing for us. And we remember that when we go share the, share the gospel. The re- revelation reminds us that we need to go out and share. We need to go out and send this invitation to as many people as we know. Because they too need to hear. And they too need to respond today. See, the second coming of Jesus Christ is important. Because it reminds us exactly why we're still here. 
It reminds us that we don't belong in this world. That Jesus is going to come back and he's going to judge this world and he's going to take us home. All the commands throughout scripture leads to these end times. All the commands throughout scripture tells us to wait for these end times. It's telling us to put off pleasures now so that we can have eternal pleasures later. But it's also second coming tells us that while we're putting off these pleasures, continue to follow Christ, share about Him, evangelize, because we're here for on a mission. On a mission of bringing as many people as we can into the fold of God, into His kingdom. He is indeed coming soon. And Jesus will come, He will come, He will claim what is His. He will cast out all those who do not believe. And all of us are to remain faithful. But most of all, we do all this. We wait for God. We wait for, and we wait for great anticipation for Jesus' return. Not just not to gain His favor, but we do it because we love Christ. And I think that's at the end of it all. The question I want you to walk away from Revelation. As you guys, as we study all, we study the kingdom of God, we study a lot of theology in this, in this book. And as, again, a lot of it can go over your heads, that's okay. But at the end of it all, do you come before the king? Do you come before Lord, your Lord Jesus Christ? And you're going to respond to him? Do you look upon him? Do you say, do you love him? Do you love Him where you're willing to wait for Him? Do you love Him where you're willing to obey Him? Do you love Him because you recognize what He's done for you? Heaven and all, we care about this. We care about the return of Christ because we love our Lord Jesus Christ. To kind of give you an illustration of this, I'm going to end with this. Do you find an illustration of this kind of faithfulness, of waiting for our Lord? In Japan, there's this dog that's uh, symbolic and immortalized, right? College Hachiko. And you guys probably, still, based on the reaction, some of you guys already know this. But, you know, he had, he had, a, he had a master named Uen, Uemo, right? And they were, they were together since, he was a, since, since Hachiko was a little puppy and for about a year and a half. Hachigo will accompany him to the train station. Master will go to work. Hachigo will wait for him to come back every day. Wait faithfully. Then one day, his, his master, Uemo, passed away. All of a sudden, while he's teaching. Uh, he was at school teaching. I forgot what topic. but And he, he passed away. Some, some kind of illness hit him. And yet, every day, Hachigo waited at a station for his master come back and even though other people try to take him away you know his other friends and family just try to take him take care of this dog the dog would find out that his master wasn't there and he would escape the house run back to the station and wait every day until for six years I think or maybe nine I forgot what I was reading um, but whatever case for many years he waited waited until he finally Pachigo himself finally passed away and that and, it was, and this happened, and I guess Japan found out about it, and they end up creating a statue for him, and it's a symbol of loyalty and faithfulness for much of the Japanese nations. 
see, we read this and we think about how sad it is that this dog is waiting for his dead master who's never going to come back. But we see here how faithful and how loving this dog is. But think about how we are waiting for Christ. But here's the good news for us. Jesus indeed is coming back. He is not dead, but he has risen from the grave. He has ascended to heaven, and he is right now preparing his kingdom. And one day he will come back to us, waiting faithfully for him. Do you love Jesus? Do you love him to obey him? Do you love him enough to wait for him? Do you love him enough to seek him above all else? No matter who else, however else this world may promise to take care of you, you will deny all of it and continue to run back to Christ. Imagine waiting all these years and one day meeting your Lord face to face. He welcomes you in. Think about the joy that you can have finally meeting Christ finally seeing his return so the big idea then really for all revelation is Jesus imminent return urges us to respond to his invitation and to remain faithful to the end I guess last thing is, if anyone here indeed is wrestling with your faith, wrestling whether or not you believe, as I'm talking about an invitation to come, this invitation is also for you to respond today. And anyone here is wondering if, they are, if you truly have indeed followed Christ, and you're wondering if you're just wrestling, I've been, maybe you've been to church for a while, or maybe you're new to church, wherever the case may be, and you're asking yourself whether or not you truly follow Christ. I want to encourage you to respond today in repentance to Him. Repent and submit yourself to Him. And again, this salvation He offers is free. Come to Him. And come to know your Lord Jesus Christ who loves you and promises to take you home. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word. Your word shows us so much. It's more than just it's more than just a story. But Lord, your word invites us to respond. To show us, Lord, that God, you not only just did all these things just, just so that to make yourself look good, but you did all these things for us. So that we can be saved, so that we can come to know you and worship you and be in love with you, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would you would speak to our hearts. And that, Lord, you're open the ears of our hearts to hear your word and accept your truth. Lord, thank you. Thank you for promising not to leave us alone, but to return one day to take us home, to reclaim what's yours, to establish your kingdom. Lord, we look forward to that day. But until then, let us continue to be faithful to you. Help us. Help us continue to be obedient to your word. To not add or remove anything from it, but to continue to just be submissive to what you have revealed to us through your word. And I pray, Lord, that your spirit will guide us and lead us every step of the way. 
And so, Lord, thank you again for all things. You are indeed the Lord of our salvation. And we can't wait for the day when we get to see you face to face. I pray all this in your name. Amen.